Well, it's always sad to kind of break up that time, but uh, that's why we have God heaven. We can do major, major greeting time for forever. So anyways, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28, where we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. A text that is familiar, I think, to a lot of you. It's the text of the Great Commission, where we look at the... Uh, just practicing the discipline of evangelism. We're still in our series and we'll continue to be so until the end of September. And then in October, we'll get into Genesis. But we're trying to look at some of those things that just Christians need to do. What, what, how do Christians live their life when they love the Lord? Uh, you know, what do they do to show their, their thanks to God? How do they live out their life by His grace? And so each of these little disciplines is just part of of what we need to try and incorporate into our life so that we can be doing the things that God wants us to do so he can bless us and we can be glorified. So pray with me and then we'll get into our text for this morning. Father, we, as we just sung, uh, heard sung, the song about showing the world your compassion to go into the valleys and the highways and the byways to tell people of Jesus. Father, I pray that this would be the desire of all of us, that we would not be content in merely remaining silent because those who are blind and don't know they're walking towards hell uh, maybe don't realize it, maybe because they don't want to hear the message and maybe because they would rather be left alone in their sin because they're deceived. May we break through with the truth, do it in compassion and do it in love, but yet, Father, not just stand idly by. Father, may we realize that it is our responsibility, our duty, our act of worship to tell people about you. And as we look at the text this morning, may we see that. May we feel the responsibility, but also the great encouragement that comes from the passage before us. It's exciting to think that we get to do this and that your grace is sufficient for this. May we leave here today changed, motivated, instilled with a desire to impact the world for you. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. George Whitfield, who is probably a the greatest preacher, evangelist who has ever lived, uh, other than Jesus, uh, led many thousands of people to Christ. When you study his life, it's just hard to even say why, except that God decided to do it. He went around, and as he went from place to place, he thousands of people gathered, and many heard Christ and were born again. His ministry was very much like Jesus. The Spirit of God went before Whitfield and compelled people to come and hear him preach. In the Banner of Truth edition of George Whitfield's journals, there is an account of how God drew this one man named Nathaniel Cole of Middletown, Connecticut. He described what happened to him October 23rd, 1740, when Whitfield came to preach in his town, Cole wrote, quote, 
I felt the Spirit of God drawing me by conviction. I longed to see and hear Whitfield and wished he would come this way. End quote. Cole, Cole knew that he was in the area but wasn't sure he was going to come to his town. He was wishing he would. He had this desire to go hear Whitfield preach, a man he has never met. Cole then went on to write, quote, Then on a sudden... In the morning, about 8 or 9 o'clock, there came a messenger and said that Mr. Whitfield preached at Hartford in Withersfield yesterday and is to preach in Middletown this morning at 10 o'clock. I was in my field at work. I dropped my tool that I had in my hand and ran home to my wife telling her to make ready quickly to go hear Mr. Whitfield preach at Middletown. Then ran to my pastor for my horse with all my might, fearing that I should be too late. Having my horse, I, with my wife, soon mounted the horse and went forward as fast as I thought the horse could bear. And when my horse got much out of breath, I would get down and put my wife on the saddle and bid her ride as fast as she could and not stop or slow down for me unless I told her to do so. And so I would run until I was much out of breath and then mounted my horse again. And so I did several times to favor my horse." Cole then described what happened when he finally reached the hill overlooking the town of Middleton uh, near where he lived, his house was. He said, I saw before me a cloud of fog arising. I first thought it came from a great river, but as I came near the road, I heard a noise of horses' feet coming down the road, and this cloud was a cloud of dust made by the horses' feet. It rose into the air over the tops of the hills and the trees. And when I came within about 400 feet of the road, I could see men and horses slipping along in the cloud like shadows. As I drew nearer, it seemed like a steady stream of horses and their riders, scarcely a horse more than its length behind another, and all lather and foam and sweat, their breath rolling out of their nostrils. Every horse seemed to go with all its might to carry his rider to hear the news from heaven for the saving of souls. It made me tremble to see the sight, how the world was in a struggle. Cole and his wife then pushed into this huge mass of people who were kind of stampeding to hear George Whitfield preach, all being drawn by the Holy Spirit. When they first arrived, there were about 4,000 people assembled there to hear Whitfield preach and more were coming. Cole said, quote, I turned and looked and towards the great river and saw the ferry boats running swift, b- swift backwards and forwards, uh, carrying loads of people and the oars rowed nimbly and quick. Everything, men, horses and boats seemed to be struggling for life. The land and the banks over the river looked black with people and horses all along the 12 miles. I saw no man in his field, but but all seemed to be gone. When I saw Mr. Whitfield come upon the scaffold, he looked almost angelical, a young, slim, slender youth before some thousands of people with a bold, undaunted countenance. I had heard of how God was with him everywhere he went, and it solemnized my mind and put me into a trembling fear before he began to preach, for he looked as if he were clothed with authority from a great God. A sweat, a sweet, solemn solemnity sat upon his brow. And when I heard him preach, it gave me a heart wound. And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. I saw that my righteousness would not save me, end quote. And then he was converted. Along with many thousands of others that day. That was the experience of 
thousands of people who are drawn by the Holy Spirit to hear George Whitfield preach. George Whitfield never sent out a single flyer, mailer, or Facebook invite. He didn't organize a crusade months in advance to try and conjole people to come. The Holy Spirit drew people that the Holy Spirit wanted to hear the gospel so that they could be saved and the people came. They were compelled to come. They were desperate to come. And they came and heard the gospel and many thousands came to saving faith. I know some of you had a similar experience. I've heard testimony from you saying, yeah, I just felt like, man, I just need to go to church. I never really went to church. I wasn't really religious. I just thought, I think I'll go to church. And you came to church and heard the gospel and were saved. Others of you told me, yeah, I was just walking along and I looked and thought, oh, there's a church there. I think I'll go in. And you did. And you were saved. Others of you have told me, yeah, you know, I was trying to find a different church and actually came to this one and was saved. One man told me, yeah, after writing uh, you a 15-page nasty letter, I couldn't help but keep coming and was saved. (laughs) You know, you, you don't understand these things when they're happening to you. All you know is, I need to go to this place. I need to do this thing. You don't realize that though you're planning your ways, the Lord is directing your step so that you can come in contact and have a collision with the gospel and be saved. And as you look back, you can see that you were blind before and God called you and God drew you and God opened your heart and you felt compelled and driven and now you are saved by grace. Now, I know that you don't have a ministry like George Whitfield, because if you did, we would have heard about it. Most of you aren't preachers in the formal sense of the word. You're just students and dads and moms and business people and retired folk. And and you may look back and go, I don't think I've led a single person to the Lord. And in a sense, that's okay as long as you've tried to lead somebody to the Lord. As long as you're working at leading people to the Lord, it's okay. If, if nobody comes and you do the right thing, that's okay. Nobody came when Jeremiah preached his whole life. So it's all right. Sometimes God has you to be aroma of death to people. You are the one who shares the gospel with them so God can judge them later for not believing. Other times you're an aroma of life and you're the one that God uses to bring them to salvation. Other times you're kind of just a tiller of the ground. You're a brush clearer and you know you break up the hard soil and then some other person comes along and shares and that time they believe. But the hundred other times before that they didn't. It's okay. God is in charge of saving people. That's his business. Your business is to proclaim the gospel. And this is what we want to consider this morning, practicing the discipline of evangelism. Our text is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and we're going to see some things that I think are going to be quite a bit different than what you're used to. This isn't going to be about just go out there and just drop the bomb only. It's going to be more than that. Jesus, of course, after being betrayed, after being tried, after being crucified, killed, buried, and resurrected on the third day, appeared to his disciples multiple times in Jerusalem, and then said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Galilee. He told them where to go. He says, I'm going to show up there. Wait for me. And so that is what they did, and our text happens next. 
They're in Galilee, and Jesus shows up. Look in your Bibles at Matthew 28, verse 16. Follow along as I read. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What I want you to see from our text this morning is really seven aspects of evangelism. And no, we can't go into them all in detail. We're just going to be skimming the surface and kind of just giving some an honorable mention. But I want you to see the big picture. We're going to kind of blow out a couple of the the points. But I want you to see that there's a lot more in the Great Commission than to just go out there and say, Here, Jesus died on the cross for sin, was buried and rose again the third day. Belief. You know, that's not the whole thing. There's more than that. And so we're going to see how that is. The first thing I want you to notice is you need to be worshiping Christ as you do evangelism. Look at verse 16. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. So notice here, we've already talked about this. We've had two sermons on this in our discipline series about the need to worship God corporately with the church and the need to worship God individually All through your lives, all the time, your whole life is to be a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. So you need to think of when I go to work, I'm worshiping. When I'm mowing my lawn, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm cleaning the house, when I'm talking to my neighbor. Whatever it is, it's to be an act of worship. You worship God by obeying Him, by serving Him, by praising Him, by thanking Him. And of course, one of the things Jesus wants you to do is to fulfill the great commission so it's really an act of worship and we see the disciples here uh, on the the verge of being sent out to be his apostles and evangelists in the world worshiping jesus and so uh, i just want you to know that the great commission is a commission really to worship christ by loving other people and leading them to salvation through the gospel as someone said it's the great commission not the great option And so we need to get out there and do it. Secondly, don't doubt the Lord. Notice towards the end of verse 17, we read that when the disciples, they came and they were worshiping Jesus, the text says, but some were doubtful. I don't know what exactly they were doubtful for. I think there's a good, a couple good possibilities. One, they were doubtful that it was actually Jesus they were talking to. They hadn't seen him in a long time and maybe he looked different. I don't know. And maybe they're wondering, is this actually Jesus? Is this... You know, the Lord, maybe that was it. They had already seen Jesus many other times uh, leading up to this time in Jerusalem. And so I don't know uh, if that was it. It could have been they were doubtful to worship him. Uh, they did worship him in multiple places according to the gospels and you could imagine how living your life worshiping the invisible God. Now you have a man in front of you that might cause you a little doubt should we be doing this um you know bowing down to this man um you know that might be it i don't know um it says they worship him and some were doubtful and the closest thing is the worship i don't know but let me draw some encouragement from this besides of what exactly it was they were doubtful of be encouraged to know that jesus's hand-picked disciples 
who lived with him for three years, saw all the miracles, heard all the teaching, saw his death, saw him after his resurrection, were doubtful. You're saying, well, why is that an encouragement? Because they were sinners. They're just normal sinners. You know, a lot of people think of the apostles as kind of walking three inches above the ground. They got this. Well, I've seen pictures of them in books. They got halos around their head. No, they're, they're just sinners. They're just people like you and me. And even though they had all that teaching and all that exposure with Jesus, they doubted. They doubted. Do you ever uh, uh, doubt that you should tell somebody about Jesus? Do you ever uh, maybe refuse to believe that there is power in the gospel to save somebody? Do you doubt sometimes maybe that you have enough knowledge, enough wisdom, uh, enough boldness to actually lead somebody to Christ? Well, be encouraged. You're in good company. Disciples doubted too. And granted, it's sinful to doubt. But listen to me. These doubters turned the world upside down for Christ. That's what's cool about it. God takes average, even doubting people, helps them not to doubt, and can use them to turn the world upside down. That means you. That means me. Just average people. Not super wise, intelligent, vast scholars, but just frail, fragile, fearful people. He uses them to lead people to Christ. Third, get moving. Look at verse 18. This is like the tricky part of the whole passage. You're saying, why is that? Well, you'll see in a second. Jesus says, look at verse 18. He came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Stop and just think about about what Jesus has just said here. Now, I think whoever it was who was doubting, some were doubting. They're not doubting anymore. As soon as Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. They go, oh, I think that's Jesus. You know, all authority is pretty much authority, isn't it? No, it's all authority. Jesus is claiming to be God. Only God has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus just said, I've got it, which makes him God. Why, why though? Why would he say, I have all authority in heaven and earth because of what he's going to tell them. And what does he tell them? Go. You say, okay, I see that. Yeah, but you don't see what you need to see. Now, I, I've got to tell you some things here. And, uh, you know, I don't usually do this and I don't like to do this because as soon as I mention some of these words, some of you instantly fall asleep. Don't fall asleep because this is kind of cool. Okay, now I'm going to throw out some scary words here. This is a participle. Okay, um, but what's interesting, it's a passive participle, an error's passive participle. Okay, you said you're still awake. Follow me now. Now, a participle, if you translate it into English, is usually an ing word. Running, jumping, you know, laughing. Uh, those are participle words, ing in the English, or that's how we kind of designate them as participles. Now, what's very interesting about this participle is that because it's an aorist participle, it could be translated having gone. That's really how you should translate it. That is like the literal bonehead translation of it. Having gone, make disciples. Now, doesn't that seem kind of weird to you? It sounds like it already happened. 
Why would, why would Jesus say, having gone, make disciples? That just doesn't seem to, to fit. Not only that, it's passive. And you're thinking, oh, help me. It's been a long time since I had grammar. Okay, I'll help you. See if you can get this. There's a couple different ways we have verbs. Sometimes they're active, sometimes they're passive. Now, passive means the subject receives the action. The subject doesn't do the thing, it receives the thing. So if you're playing baseball and the pitcher throws a wild pitch and hits the batter, the batter receives the action. The ball hits him. He doesn't do the action, he's hit by the action, right? The ball hits him, he he receives. Now when you have an active tense, the subject is the doer of the action. That's when the batter knocks the ball out of the park. Now the batter does the action. This right here is a passive participle, which means the disciples receive the action. And it's kind of already done. And that has caused people grief. And you can understand why. You're thinking, well, what does that mean then? What does that mean? Well, I think this is what it means. What it means is Jesus himself compels and drives people to have encounters so the gospel can be shared. The reason I read that story is because it proves the point about the farmer. The guy was just... I mean, he's out in his field, and all of a sudden, I've got to go here, Whitfield. Hurry, wife, hurry! You know, he's running next to his horse. I mean, what causes people to do that? God. God and his providence is working to orchestrate divine encounters so that gospel preacher and gospel listener can come together so that person can be saved. And if you know Christ... It happened to you. It happened to you. You can be assured that Jesus is intimately involved in making sure that sinners are brought to salvation. You say, well, still, I'm still not quite clear about this go, having gone, or, you know, you might paraphrase it, having been compelled to go, make disciples. I mean, I'm still trying to get a grip of that. Well, what's cool about it is Matthew uses the same verb, the same exact word with the same command that follows it. Instead of go make disciples, go is the participle, make disciples is the command. Listen to how he uses it five other places in the gospel. In every one of these cases, it's somebody of authority speaking to somebody of lesser authority about going and doing something. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 2 verse 8. Herod is looking for the Christ child to kill him and says, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Go and search carefully. Matthew 9.13. Jesus addresses the Pharisees and says to them, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Matthew eleven four. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus in order to confirm that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John 
what you hear and see. Matthew 17, 27, tax collectors uh, come to Jesus and Peter and they want them to pay the, the poll tax, the two drachma tax or whatever. Jesus says, however, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in the hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel, take that and give it to them for you and for me. I wish I could pay my taxes that way. And finally, Matthew 28, verse 7, which is just in the near context of our passage. You can look at it there. Jesus says, uh, actually, the angel says to the women at the tomb after Jesus has been resurrected, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Notice that in each of these cases, there is the exhortation to go. And then there is this command to do something. In each of those cases, it's an heir's passive participle, which could be said, having been compelled to go, do something. Just like our text. Leon Morris, talking about our passage, says this. He says, whenever you have this participle followed by a verb, the same construction you have in our text, the participle always carries with it the the force of the command that follows. Now this is very interesting because what that means, if it's a command, we have to do it. But if it's passive, Jesus does it. And you're saying, well, which one is it? Yeah, both, both. Jesus is going to be through his providence, providence moving you around as you seek to move around. And in that the simultaneously, he's going to bring you into contact with the people you need to be in contact with so you can share the gospel with them. Or if you don't know Christ, to have the gospel shared with you. As a matter of fact, that's why you're here this morning. So, what we learn is this. Not only that is Jesus going to be working in you to move you around, but secondly, you need to get moving and obey the command. You see, you can't obey any of the commands in all those verses we just read unless you're moving. There needed to be a change of location. So because the changing of location is absolutely essential to obeying the command, it's given in the passive as if it's already occurred. Because if you do the command, it's a done deal. You got to go. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than them all, yet not I, but what? The grace of God within me. You say, well, so you worked hard, Paul? Yes. And yet it wasn't you? Yes. Well, then what was it? The grace of God within me. So you didn't do it. No, I did. So God did it, yes. Well, which is it? Yes. That's how it works. We see that all the way through the New Testament, don't we? This constant tension of, I'm going to ask you to do something, but I'm going to give you the grace to do it. You know, the famous text on, you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not out of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would what? Walk in them. We're going to walk in them. We would walk in them, is the best translation, as the NASB 95 has it. 
We're going to walk in them. Why? Because he's prepared the way he has. Now, man plans his way, but the Lord what? Directs himself, directs his steps. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He what? Moves them wherever he wishes. The Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. It's almost like God's sovereign. And if you're, if you're having trouble, remember that. Just read Isaiah 40 sometime. Read Isaiah 40. God is absolutely sovereign. And God has declared the end from the beginning. And his purpose will all be established. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10. God works all things after the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, 11. All that the Father give to the, gives to the Son come to him. He loses them but raises them up on the last day. John six thirty seven. And when the gospel is preached, as many as have been appointed to eternal life, believe. Acts thirteen forty eight. You need to remember these kind of things when you're going out to fulfill the Great Commission. God can bring the right person. He will bring the right person. They're going to hear. You may be to one person an aroma of death, another person an aroma of life, but listen, it's your not, not your job to save them. It's your job to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, so that they can hear it and be saved. You're just the earthen vessel, the cracked pot, the dregs of the earth, and you're nothing special. So be encouraged. God uses broken tools. As Thomas Watson said, he's able to strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. And we're the crooked stick. Not many of you are very noble and smart and super educated and nobody's perfectly holy. We don't have this amazing faith. You don't need this vast knowledge. You just need to be a willing person to try and tell somebody what you know about Jesus. And God uses that. What's amazing is God has used such botched up gospel presentations to lead a lot of people to Jesus. I mean, really bad gospel presentations. And ones that we might think wouldn't even work. If you've, you've listened to the testimonies up here, people have gotten saved by all kinds of weird verses. Thinking, that, that did it for you? Ask Jesus in your heart? That's not in the Bible. Ask Jesus in your heart. Yes, no, no, no. It's repent. It's believe the gospel. It's like, well, well, how would you like to, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Not if you don't know him, he has a bad plan. It's only when you believe that he has a wonderful plan. You know, we, we have all these man-made methods, and believe me, a lot of them are really broken. Here, pray the sinner's prayer. No, believe in the Lord Jesus. Don't go pray in the sinner's prayer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Do what the Bible says. And it's amazing that even though we botch it up, and even though we misquote verses, and even though we stammer, and even though we stutter, God still brings people. And sometimes the gospel presentation is so short, like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he did, and his whole household was saved. So that's how they told him? Yeah, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That, that's it? I mean, what about like the 108 verses I memorized for this discipleship class? No, 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 no. I mean, what about the four spiritual laws? No, 
No, no. What about the Romans wrote? Mm, mm. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You mean all that? That was, that was all it took for him. That's all it was took for him. And so I want to encourage you. That you know what? Just open your mouth and do the best you can. That's all you got to do. You don't have to be super evangelist. I mean, granted, there are people who are really into it. Memorize all the verses and, and that, that is their passion. That's the part they play in the church and get them. Do it. But don't remain silent because you think, well, I haven't, no, I've only known Christ for 25 years. I've only gone to Sunday school for 25 years and heard about a million sermons and I don't know if I can do it. You can. You can do it the first day you come to Christ. Fourth, make disciples. Look towards the beginning of verse 19 and make disciples of all the nations. And here we have the main command of the passage. Make disciples is the main command. Notice the scope of the command is all nations. Oh, is that all? I mean, it's a huge deal, isn't it? You mean like everybody, all all people groups, all nations, all countries, all nationalities, like everybody? Yeah, wherever there's people, make disciples out of them. Now, if you notice, the text doesn't actually say, tell them the gospel, does it? It says make disciples. Why? Because making disciples is a lot more comprehensive term than tell them the gospel. A lot of times when we think of evangelism, we think of telling somebody the gospel. And that's certainly part of it. And that's what we need to do to bring them to Christ. But listen, there's a lot more than that to fulfilling the great commission. Of course, we need to share the gospel with them. So preaching the gospel is important. But, you know, a lot of times I think we just, we have in our mind that, you know, if I, I just need to be evangelist, I need to go out there and just tell people about Jesus, tell people about Jesus. And if somebody comes to Christ, you go, oh, good. And then kind of like, you know, we just abandon them on the street. That, that's not good enough. Yes, tell them the gospel. But if they come to Christ, don't just say, oh, I'll be warm and filled later. You know, if you were to talk to some woman and, and say, hi, you know, you're chatting with somebody at jury duty or something, you know, you're having a discussion. Oh yeah. You know, you have any children? Yeah, I've got four of them. It's like, Oh, okay. Uh, um, what are their ages? Oh, you know, they're eight, 10, 13 and 18. Oh, cool. And so, so tell me a little bit about them. And well, I don't know anything about them. It's like, well, why not? Well, after they were born, I, I just left them on the street. Now, would you say that woman was a mother? No, she's more like a child bearer. Because she's never mothered them. She's given birth to them, but she hasn't parented. And see, this is, this is how it is sometimes. We, we, we tell people about Christ. And if somebody comes to Christ, it's, we banning them on the street. Well, listen, I let them to the Lord. God will take care of them after that. No, you take care of them. They're your baby. You make sure they get hooked into the church. And get hooked into other spiritual fathers and mothers so they can grow in the Lord. You don't have to do it all. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you make sure you get them connected. Giving spiritual birth is is important. And yeah, that's where it starts. But that's just the very beginning. That's just the beginning of what it means to do evangelism. But you may be thinking, okay, so what is it exactly? I mean, when you say, yeah, tell them the gospel. What is it exactly that we tell them? You know, is it believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that, is that good? Well, turn to math or turn to Luke 24. Now, some of you not, not Luke. Um, we just got out of there. It took us seven years to get out of there. Yeah, turn to Luke. 
Luke chapter 24, and let me just show you um, the content here. Now, this is, we're going to look at verse 46 and 47. This is Luke's version of the great commandment, the great commission, not the great commandment, the great commission. Now, what happened was, is Jesus told the disciples to go to Galilee. They went to Galilee. He met them there and gave them our text, the great commission, as Matthew records it, go make disciples of all nations, etc. Later on, he meets them again in Jerusalem. And then when they're on the Mount of Olives, right before he ascends, he gives the great commission again, but in different words. But when he gives it right before he ascends into heaven, he focuses more on the content of the message to be preached. And that's why we're going to look at this in in comparison. Everything in Luke 24, 46 and 47 is contained in the phrase, make disciples, plus more stuff, which we'll see in a minute. But I want you to see the message because there are certain aspects that are really critical. A lot of people kind of get, you know, scared about what do I tell them? First, notice verse 24, 46, thus it is written that the Christ, there it is. Tell them about the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, born of a virgin. Tell them about the person of Jesus, who he is. He is the Savior, the promised one. Tell them about the Christ, the person of Christ. Secondly, tell them about the work of Christ on the cross. Notice it says, um, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer. Where did he suffer? On the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Tell them what happened. What did Jesus do? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he have to hang on the cross? That he had to bear our sins in his body on the tree. That he suffered in our place as a substitute. That he satisfied the wrath of God. That he made a perfect atonement for sin. What was the work that Jesus accomplished when he was on the cross? So we have Jesus, who he is, his person. What he accomplished on the cross. Third, that the resurrection of Christ is proclaimed. Notice it says that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. So you tell them this is who Jesus is. This is what he did on the cross. And then he rose again three days later. You tell them about the resurrection. So thus it is written that the Christ, the person of Jesus, would suffer his work on the cross and rise again in the dead in the thir- from the dead on the third day, the resurrection. Unbelievers need to know these three things. These are, this is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is. This is the message. And what's cool about it is since it was originally written in Greek, you could just summarize it in English. It's okay. You don't have to worry about quoting verses exactly. You know, we've got translations here. Just summarize what happened. This is who Jesus is. Tell them some things about Jesus. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Tell them some things about the purpose of you know, dying for sin, something basic at least. And then he rose again from the dead. That's pretty self-explanatory. We got those three things. The person, work, and resurrection of Christ. We got it? Okay, that's it. But there's something missing, isn't it? Can you think of what it is? There's something missing. It was what was missing in my life before I came to Christ. I, being raised in a Roman Catholic church, I knew who Jesus was. I knew he was born of a virgin. I knew he lived a perfect life. I knew he died on the cross for our sins. I knew he rose from the dead on the third day. I knew all of that. And then I was told to trust in the sacraments to save me. 
I was diverted at the very point of salvation. When it came to appropriating, receiving Jesus, his work on the cross and the resurrection, the power of that to my life, I was given some things to do. And then I tried to do those things hoping they would save me. When really, I needed to go back to the beginning and just bypass those things. People need to know how to receive the data of the gospel. How do you do that? Well, Jesus says, look there. He goes on to say that he rose the dead from the third day. And verse 47 says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. After you tell somebody who Jesus is, what he accomplished on the cross, that he rose again, you then call them to repentance. Repentance. You say, well, no, well what is Repentance. Repentance is to have a change of mind that results in the change of direction. So you have a change of mind that you're not living for God, you're not loving Him, you're not worshiping Him, He's not your Lord, your Savior, your King, your Master, and that you, whatever it is you're living for, up to that point, you turn from it. Because you've been living for something, even yourself, or pleasure, or sin, uh, whatever. Repentance emphasizes what we turn from. Repentance is what you turn from. So, false gods, idols, false religion, pleasure, immorality, materialism, money, greed, whatever it is. The unbeliever must turn from, he must repent of, say these things are bad. I am turning from them and then must believe. Repentance is to, biblical repentance, to turn from and the positive side of it is faith, saving faith or belief. Belief is what we turn towards. Jesus, who is the object of our faith. He is the one we receive, we believe in, we would trust in. When you look at the scriptures, sometimes, most of the time, the majority of texts say, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That implies a turning to, to embrace, to grab hold of, to receive, to trust in. Now, you can't do that unless you turn away from whatever it is you're living for before that time. You you don't get to just add him to your own personal pantheon. You know, you don't get to say, well, you know, I've got my immorality here and I've got my greed and my materialism and my idolatry. I've got my whole little pantheon of things that I worship and I live for. And, you know, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to add him to my pantheon. No, 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 you don't get to do that. You have to turn from this, repent of all this, and in faith embrace Jesus Christ. That's why so many texts just say believe because it implies repentance. But anytime they say only to repent, it replies, implies faith also. Like Paul said to the you know, Greeks on Mars Hill in Acts 17 verse 30, God is commanding that all men everywhere should repent. Or as Jesus said in, in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Well, he's not saying don't believe. He's saying, yeah, turn from this and believe. So some texts say believe only. Some say repent only, like our text. And some say, a few say repent and believe. 
But the point is, is when you do that, something happens. And if you look, uh, Luke 24, 47 says, why would you do this? For the forgiveness of sins. That tells us that that message, Jesus's person, Jesus's work, Jesus's resurrection, proclaimed to somebody so that they turn from, have a change of mind about whatever it is they're living for, reject it, and turn to embrace that, they receive forgiveness. Now they have appropriated the power, the work of Christ in their life, and they get to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers them. That is what brings somebody to salvation. So, the text then goes on to say in Luke 24, um, that you should do it in Jesus' name, which means his authority, his power. We kind of have the same thing uh, in our text. And um, it should be done to all nations, bidding in from Jerusalem. But since those things are kind of mentioned in our text, we'll go back to Matthew 28. Go back to Matthew 28. But I want you to see that that's what all of that is contained in make disciples and more. So now you know the message. Okay. Tell them about Jesus, a little bit about Jesus. Tell them what he did in the cross, that he rose again. So that is the medicine. Okay. Now, this is how you take the medicine. This is how you get the injection or the pill or whatever. This is how you get it into you. Repent of your sins. Turn from your way of living, your idols, your sins or whatever. And receive, believe, trust in Jesus, who he is, what he did, resurrected, alone to save you. You get forgiveness of sins. You're in the kingdom. Yeah. Now, once they're in the kingdom then, that's not it. That's not all there is. We still haven't finished evangelism. We still haven't finished the Great Commission. There's more still. We've got to get them baptized. Look at number uh, .5, the middle of verse 19 and then we need to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Literally, uh, baptism means to place into, so, to submerse into, to dedicate to. And then it's, it, what's interesting is the word name there, it, it doesn't say baptizing them in the names plural of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but the name singular. Put them into the singular name of the one triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You baptize them. So in other words, what we want is, is we don't want people who just give a profession for Jesus. We don't want people to say, well, yeah, I shared the gospel. And yeah, they said they would believe. And I said, well, you need to come to church. You need to get baptized. And they say, well, no, I don't want to do that. Well, then you should doubt that they believe. Because if somebody is unwilling to follow Christ and obey Christ by being baptized, like he said, to take a public stand for their faith in Christ, their salvation is in question. Because what they're saying is, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to take a public stand for him. I don't want to go back, get baptized. I don't want to like declare to everybody that I'm a follower. Well, then you're not a follower because if you, if you were, you'd follow him. And he says, get baptized. Now, there are times when baptism might be postponed. For instance, you know, you have a child, maybe that's four or five or six or something that comes to Christ and you think they come to Christ. I mean, a lot of times they come to Christ. You can scare kids and get them to come to Christ pretty easy. Do you want to burn in hell? No. Could you want to just, you, how would you like to put your hand on the stove? No, no, no. Would you like your whole body to be in the fire? No, no. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Yeah, okay. Okay, pray this prayer. Okay, you're saved. No, probably not. 
But you may have an instance in your house where maybe one of your children kind of seems to be extra soft and and uh, humble and repentant and you pray with them and they may have gotten saved or not, but you're not sure. So what do you look for? You look for them bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. You look for a changed life like anybody else, even at that young age. If they're, they're old enough to be saved, they're old enough to show the fruit of repentance. And if you don't see that, then I wouldn't get them baptized because they need to be believe and then they need to be baptized. And there may be other instances where, you know, uh, maybe you, uh, for some reason, you're postponing baptism because you want somebody to be there to see it or something. I mean, you know, there's legitimate excuses, I guess, that, you know, you're intending to do it and you want to do it and you're planning on doing it. It's just not right this second. But when you go into the Bible, of course, when, when people come to Christ, how long do they take to get baptized? You know, right now. I mean, they, they don't even wait. I mean, I love the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, that Philip preaches the gospel to him and he comes to Christ, goes, let's go in the water right now. I mean, it's like, let's get down right now. It's like, well, don't you want to go to baptism class? You see, in that culture, people knew what baptism was. They, they knew that when you, were, when you got baptized, you were declaring publicly your commitment to something. So they knew that because it was a common practice, not just in Christianity. And so when you see, especially like in Acts, these Jews coming to Christ, man, they're going to get baptized right now because they've made a switch in their mind. They're now trusting in Christ and they're ready to be baptized to let everybody know they're siding with Jesus. Today, a lot of times people don't know what that means. And so we do have a little baptism class, uh, not to get them to disobey the Lord for a while, but actually so that they understand what they're doing in obeying the Lord. And that's fine too. So you need to preach the gospel to them. And if they come to Christ, then... You say, hey, you need to come to church and you need to get baptized. You need to make a public declaration of your faith and commitment to follow Christ. But that's not all. You six need to teach the disciples to obey. You lead somebody to Christ, they get baptized. And now verse 20 states that you are to teach, be teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That is huge, isn't it? I mean, that's Jesus commanded a lot. Oh, this is a big book. That is a lifetime thing. A huge thing. All I want you to do, two things. Learn all the truth and obey all the truth. That is a huge thing. And when you look at all of this together, you say, okay, okay. So you're telling me that that evangelism and the Great Commission means that I go out as an act of worship because I love the Lord. And as I go out, I do it in faith, not doubting the promises of God, trusting in the power of the gospel to save people. I go out preaching the gospel wherever the Lord sets up divine appointments so that I can do that. I call sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, who is crucified and then resurrected for sinners. Those who repent and believe I bring them into the church so they can be baptized. And then once they get baptized, I get them plugged into Sunday school. I get them plugged into a small group. I get them plugged into a Sunday school class. I get them coming to church faithfully so that they can learn to obey all that Jesus commanded. 
Now, at this point, you may be thinking, that is just way too big for me. And you know what? You are right. That is why God gives us the church. That's what's neat about the church. You don't have to do it all. Yeah, you're going to have your part in making sure it happens, especially at the beginning. You know, you don't leave them on the street. You bring them in and say, sit here. You hold their hand. You show up. You call them up. You remind them. You get them plugged in. You get them a Bible. You know, you hold their hand at the beginning so you can kind of get them weaned off of you and plugged into the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can minister to them. And this is what's cool. You don't have to do it all. It's so encouraging. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11, 13 and see if this sounds like our text at all. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, which you could summarize as teaching them to observe all I commanded. That's how it is. So what's neat about it is you may not be, you know, a super gifted teacher or whatever. You bring them into the church and let somebody else at them. You may not be very good at, you know, doing this or doing that, but you bring them into the church and other people are gifted and those people encourage them. And as we practice the one another's, we build those people up so they become producers of the gospel and that they go out and sow their own gospel message and reap their own harvest and bring their own people into the church so that the process can continue. And all of us are sitting here this morning because we are part of that process. I mean, if you know Christ, you're here because somebody shared with you. And if you don't know Christ, you're here because I am sharing with you. God brought you here to hear me. And I'm telling you, God wants you to repent and believe. Seven, though the task is huge and there's a lot of work to do and it takes a whole lifetime to try and learn to obey all Jesus commanded. Notice this last part, but look at the middle of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus encourages us with this profound truth. I'm with you. I'm with you. That is so great. When you're scared and your your heart is thumping in your neck and you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus, he's with you. When you're trying to say just the right words and use just the right tact and to tell the person in just the right way so that hopefully they'll come to Christ, Jesus is with you. When a person gets mad and they reject you, they rejected Christ, Jesus is with you. When they break down and they humble themselves and they say, yeah, that's what I want. Jesus is with you. He's with you. Jesus is with you. The God of glory, the Savior, the King, He's with you. He's with with you when doing evangelism and fulfilling the Great Commission, man. It's His thing. It is His thing. And He wants you to know, just go out there. I'll be with you. So here's your homework. First, pray for opportunities to share the gospel, for boldness, for clarity, and love for perishing people. Boldness, clarity, and love for perishing people. You know, you don't want to go out there with the kind of like, 
you know, despising. Uh, some people just have a very bitter attitude towards unbelievers and that look at them, those sinners. <laughs> and you know, they think, well, are you going to lead anybody to Christ that way? Yeah, what's wrong with you, you sinner? Do you want to come to Christ and become like me? No. I think you're a sinner too. No, I'm not. I'm righteous or bad. See, that's how we can, sometimes we get irritated, you know, when, when people don't believe what we believe or people are spouting false doctrines and heresies and things. We can kind of get irritated at the doctrine and lose our compassion for the people. And so pray that God not only gives you the opportunities and not only gives you boldness and not only gives you clarity, but gives you a love. And you look at those people and those people, that person's just like I would be, except for the grace of God. That person's going to end up in hell, except for the grace of God. And God has brought me in contact with this person so that they can hear the gospel from me. And I need to do it in a loving and kind and compassionate way so that they will hear. Even if they reject, I, I might be a tiller of the ground and someone else can come and sow later. And reap later. Secondly, go about your business in the world. Armed with the truth of the gospel. Be a sinner seeking missile. Yeah. It's very easy to find a target too. That's what's cool about it. You just go out there just looking, okay, where are they? Where are they? Kind of looking out. Okay, can I talk to this person? Dang, I have a little minute to talk to this person. Can I talk to you for a second? I mean, there's, I love it. I love it when I get around people like that. They're just kind of like, just, 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 you know, they're just kind of ready to lock on to somebody. They can see the crosshairs. You know, it's like, shh, they're going in, man. They're going in. You know, they're going to drop the gospel bomb on them. There you are. Can I just tell you about something? No, I don't want to hear you. You don't want to hear about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins? Being buried and raised again on the third day and that through faith in him, you can have the free, free gift of eternal life. You don't want to hear about that? No, okay, I won't tell you about Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection on the third day, that you through faith in him can have the free gift of eternal life, because I can tell you don't want to hear that Jesus died for you, so you can be forgiven of your sins, and you know, I know you don't want to go to hell, I know you don't want to go to hell, and if you could just listen to me, but I know you don't want to hear about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, rising in on the third day, and faith in him will give you the free gift of eternal life, so I'll tell you what. I won't tell you. Okay? You know, get it out there somehow. Get them, do something to get it out there. And what's neat is, is people come to Christ that way. People come to Christ that way. Sometimes that when you utter those words, which is the power of God for all who believe, it's like God takes a harpoon and just jabs them. You know what happens with a harpoon, right? There's a lot of times there's a, a big like arrowhead at the end of the harpoon. And when you drive it in, that arrowhead goes in and the stick falls off, but it's in them. And when you share the gospel, you harpoon them. It pierces as far as division of soul and spirits of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you sow the seed into them. It goes into them. And then you leave the rest up to God. Unless they come to repentance. Then you've got a baby. You've got a baby. And uh, I would, yeah, especially you younger people, come home and say, after you lead somebody to the Lord, yeah, I just, I have a baby. Watch your parents like, ah! you know, say, I just led someone to the Lord. Okay, okay. You know, that's okay. 
And just lead them and know that Jesus is with you in this endeavor. He wants to be with He wants to bless you. If you've never led anybody to Christ, man, it is the ultimate drug. It is the ultimate high. It's so great. It's so great because you see their whole countenance change. You realize, that was a miracle. I just saw a miracle. God did a miracle through me right then. Just as Moses parted the sea, just as the disciples healed disease and sickness, when you share the gospel with somebody, God does a miracle through you, just like he did through Moses when he parted the sea. But a greater miracle. Because it didn't take Jesus Christ dying on the cross to part the Red Sea. But it did to see that person saved. And God has made you the instrument of a miracle. And once you have that, it's hard to go back to just coffee. Because it's good. It's really good. And then you're going out looking for another whale to harpoon. (laughs) Another target to drop the bomb on. And you may have to, to drop a lot of bombs. Harpoon a lot of fish. It's okay. Soul out of seed. Just get that gospel out there and pitch it out there. Just leave it up to God. So here's what Jesus wants you to, to know. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he commanded. There it is. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful that we were able to come to this passage and just extract a little bit of what is here. What a great passage. What an encouraging passage. We are so grateful to have it before us and to see the truth there and to know that you have a great plan for us. You just want to use us to bless us, to give you glory and to bless other people. Oh, what a great thing it is to be used by you to see a miracle occur. We would all jump at the the chance of being able to part the sea or raise some, somebody from the dead. But really, when we share the gospel, we do see somebody raised from the dead. When they come to Christ, we see a miracle. We see somebody born again and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. Father, help us to be faithful, to fulfill the great commission. And as people do come to Christ, whenever you so choose to bring them repentance and faith. May we bring them into the church so they can get baptized, so they can get plugged in, so they can learn to obey all that you commanded. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.